It was pretty funny, Bert, but let's hear a song. That was Burton Cummings singing Back Towards the Middle, a song that I believe was never recorded or at least never released uh, uh, on its own and um, uh, exists as uh, far as my uh, faulty resources are concerned only at the end of a longer segment. Um, But Back to the Middle is absolutely characteristic and classic for Cummings to return to that theme, that Meister Eckhart theme of if you want to know how to find God, go back to where you lost him. If you want to know 
how to find love, go back to where you lost love. If you want to find your life, go back to where you lost your life. And um, this uh, theme occurs uh, in um, several, I can say that uh, uh, accurately, uh, Songs of Cummings. And it's a theme that I have uh, encountered in very few places. I'll bet you you can find it in Frank Sinatra, but I don't know. But in any event, that was back Towards the Middle by Burton Cummings. We'll also end today with Cummings, and I want to say something a little bit about him. Now, this is a kind of valedictory podcast insofar as it's number 170, and um, I always wish we could have kind of a champagne reception for it, but um, it, it just doesn't fall to happen on podcasts. But this uh, cast will be the last for a couple months, and uh, I thought that it might be uh, kind of a chance to um, uh, give you a couple of recommendations to, uh, if you wish to pursue some of these themes, a couple of reading things uh, to go forward, and then uh, I thought I might sum up, you might say, the kind of... Um, uh, the the, uh, the 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 results uh, of the research of the last uh, period of casting, and there really are kind of three um, thoughts that I'd wish to put out at this point, and then we're going to conclude with uh, my actual favorite um, song by uh, Burton Cummings, and I'll say why. Now. Um, the first two things I want to say is that if you're thinking about kind of some summer reading and if you enjoy these podcasts or in, like them, and I try to put things out all the time, uh, do um, uh, continue to plow through Cummings because his work uh, is so um, unmediated. That's the power of Burton Cummings, and it's as true today as it was back in 1969. Uh, here was a writer many of whose songs were simply um, attempts to find a rhyme. Uh, many of the lines in the Guess Who's songs and in many of the songs of the early Burton Cummings, often co-written with um, Randy Bachman or Kurt Winter or whoever, uh, these songs are often in search of a line, and that's why you have occasionally a, a, a line that's off-kilter with the theme or a line that seems ridiculously out of connection with the overall sort of mood or uh, emotional feel of the song, and that's because um, when you are under pressure and you want to find a line that scans you'll uh, you'll the first one you get is sometimes the one you take so uh, often in coming songs there's a, a line or two that delightfully stands out we may say it's kind of a, a an arrow a, a ping to quote my friend uh, Mills Fleming of something from beyond uh, it, it may just be a matter of um, a, a quick um, um, as I said, uh, I, I, I am to go with the meter, uh, but um, these lines are delightful, and I've listed them before, but Back to the Middle is powerful. And go um, on to Cummings and uh, listen to some of his songs, for example, on Plus Signs, a, an odd um, production which was never released in America with some howlers from a, if you're a systematic sort of person, but it has some amazing insights. <clears throat> I mean, uh, divine, as far as I'm concerned, plus signs, the uh, the album. Uh, or go on, um, I think that one, My Own Way to Rock and Roll, is has some great ones. And needless to say, the most recent Above the Ground 
So I would ask you to continue and maybe catch one of his summer concerts. He's in his mid-60s now, and he's doing a number of shows uh, in the New York area and then up in Canada. And Mary and I hope to be present for a number of them. And um, the second uh, thing I continue to recommend is Booth Tarkington. He's easy to get into once you read about the first four pages. It's not a, a Dostoevsky situation or even a David Copperfield. That's not a good example, but it takes uh, very few pages to get into Tarkington. He was uh, trying to understand the nature of love and how it uh, is found, how it is lost, how it is discovered, and how it is rediscovered, and the different incident, incidents in life which both prepare the way, which both destroy the opportunity, and which both actually create the opportunity for actual real love between men and women. And Tarkington's um, novels are fantastic. So read Image of uh, Josephine to begin with from 1944 or 45, I think. Kate Fenegate from the same um, general uh, period, or the great and heavyweight books, not the ones that are usually assigned, but they're as good as the ones that are, which, uh, by which I mean The Midlander and uh, The Turmoil. And these are both in, um, I think uh, the turmoil is in a very nice University of Indiana paperback edition. Now, um, also, uh, don't forget um, Robert Nathan, a minor author or a second rank. I hate who's to know, but there's something very deep about Robert Nathan's attempts to re-evoke and re-find again uh, love in its sort of divine and uh, ultimate context. He, he finds, uh, carries this theme through very, um, develops it very um, thoroughly and deeply in a later novel from 1950 or so entitled The Married Look. But you'll find the um, the issue repeated again and again. And, and uh, Portrait of Jenny, the movie, uh, captures very much the urgency, uh, the urgency of a man to find a love that is lost and to find it and to find the conditions for it and to ultimately find the nature of it and to find it both within himself and within a very mystical, I might say, um, God-saturated view of uh, the world, which is Robert Nathan, who always factored in the religious and the mystical. I would say specifically the religious and specifically the mystical in most of his um, books. And see the movie with Joseph Cotton and Jennifer Jones. Now, let me lead, leave you with that for some summer reading, and then um, perhaps uh, say a little bit about, as I um, create a pause in the cast, what I want to um, leave with you by way of um, good counsel. I was at a wedding recently, and a very wise and brilliant woman was speaking to the bride at the reception, and the lighting was very disco-ish, and it was hard to get. It was all purples and pinks, but I did get a photograph of this very gifted and uh, very experienced uh, person, experienced in the school of hard knocks, talking to the bride, and I couldn't help but title the photograph, Our Lady of Good Counsel. Remember, there used to be Roman Catholic high schools that would be called Good Counsel School, and you would I just loved it when someone would say, well, yeah, I graduated in 71 from Good Counsel, and I said, well, I hope it took, and sometimes it has. Now, the three things that I would want to say is, the first is, <coughs> make a redoubled um, um, aversion, or shall I say, um, uh, uh, consider the 
fact that the world is a mirage and a, uh, a completely lost cause. There's absolutely nothing there to do or to improve or to change. Now, it may be that you are drawn through the experience of God and the experience of love and the experience of healing to return into Maya and do, as uh, Gerald Hurd said as he was dying, his withdrawal from the world because of his strokes actually increased his compassion and his interest in what was going on in the world of Maya, the fallen world. But on its own terms, don't believe that there's anything there for you. There's absolutely nothing there for you. There's absolutely zero, zero, zero. If you think that you can do, operate on, transform, make a change, uh, do anything but um, withdraw and retreat in your heart and in your mind from the power of the group ego, which is the world, the collective ego, which is the world, then um, I believe you'll be um, terribly, terribly um, spat out by it at some point, without exception. Death will, in fact, be the thing that does it. Uh, And the collective ego absolutely abhors death, and that's why no one ever talks about it. Both the individual ego hates it and the collective ego reinforces it, and so there's no real engagement with the fact of the conclusion as from the ego's point of view of its own existence. So my um, good counsel, if you graduate from this uh, lovely high school, is to avert. Now, um, I'm going to get a huge amount of grief on that. Uh, I uh, say it as an maxim, which I am 100% um, convinced of. But as I say, um, you won't see it that way, and that's okay too. Obviously, the nobody sees it that way, or at least very few. But the, uh, b- but many actually do. I was talking with someone younger than I, but somewhat experienced in life just by age. He'd obviously been through a number of things, but he was very much in the world. And I said, um, what are you thinking about these days? And he said, well, he said, I'm thinking about truth. He said, I just see so little truth. And I mean, I, and then I said, would you mean that in an axiom, in a, um, in a, uh, um, matter of propositions, or do you mean that in just reality truth? And he said, reality truth. I see so little truth being stated. And uh, I said, well, golly, that's interesting. You're in your early 40s, and you see it. And it's uh, striking because the implication of that is obviously, if I may say obviously, it sounds uh, like a facile. It's not obvious, but uh, there is a uh, major um, vision here, which is given when you negate what is being um, presented at you with such um, energy and such uh, false um, uh, conviction. Remember what Yates said. Then you will, uh, um, um, if if you can negate that, you may actually do something that might, in fact, um, ultimately, in fact, aid a person. I mean, uh, Robert Nathan, one of his most beautiful poems uh, to his wife, Anna Lee, and I have her autographed copy of this poem. I'm looking at it. It's a wonderful thing. Is his description of the marriage bed in his 70s, his description of sex in his 70s in relationship to his final but long-term, the wife he truly loved. Anna Lee is extremely wise, and yet it's also um, and full of joie de vivre in the most definite and concrete bodily sense. And yet he was a man who saw through the dream very wonderfully. Number two is uh, all is one. Uh, it's all the same. Uh, there is not... Um, I, I am one who does not believe in plurality, the many. I believe in the one. It's all the one. Someone was saying very powerfully, um, a man I know quite young who'd recently been hospitalized for a, um, I guess we would say a, a, a nervous breakdown, and he was telling me about the different people in the unit, and they included one very, very famous celebrity, 
and somebody that he knew already from another family that was well known to him, a member of another family that he knew, but he had no idea that a member of that family was as sick as um, this person had proven to be, and him. And he said, I said, what did, you, what did you emerge knowing that you hadn't really felt or understood before? And he said, universality. He said, I, I saw the universality. The universality, everyone is uh, dealing with the same ultimate defeats and sufferings and potential um, meltdowns. And I thought, my gosh, wasn't that something? We're all one. It's all one. And um, the uh, Eastern religion uh, and Western at its best, in my view, uh, sees this, that uh, there is n- it's, it's all the same thing. Whether you want to see that in a DFOST of different forms of the same thing, as Kerouac always used to write in his journals, or whether you want to see it in a divine sense, all is one. And um, that uh, gives you a kind of uh, – that's the way it's going to look when you die, by the way. That, it, the snow is going to cover the mountains. The Everything's going to be covered. All your past experiences, your past love affairs, your past um, things you've done wrong, mistakes you've made uh, – even the things that you're that were greatly joyous and happy, happy, feral, happy. I was somewhere the other day when that song magnetized a group of people. When I'm happy, I couldn't believe it. I'd been out of it so much in the last year that I hadn't known that that was a massive international sensation. I understand why, but even when you were happy, uh, it all will be snowed under by um, the reality of the oneness, which you will experience in my understanding when you die. And I'm pleased with the panopticon. I consider it, I consider it personally the, the, the best thing I've done. And it's the fact that it's going into a second edition of somewhat, not, not a heavily rewritten, but I have rewritten two sections of it. I've, I've altered gently two sections of it. I think the new edition published explicitly or exclusively by Mockingbird in the next month or so is something that I really stand with. Thirdly, um, nonetheless, with all the uh, conviction that the snow of meditation and the, the whiteout of the one um, uh, carries uh, to the um, human um, mixed uh, uh, um, input and sensory perceptions of our lives and memories. Nevertheless, we need um, we need a personal God, and I would say that as well. I've found myself so often on the brink of the insight of the One, and often actually in the hold or in the possession of, you might say, if that's the right word, it's not, but in some kind of sense of uh, of personal participation in and with the One, and yet then there's always regression to the many and to the nightmare of this or the regret of that, the remorse of this or the desire for that, the need for this, the hunger for such, and uh, so on and so forth, that I also want to say uh, that uh, I want to conclude by saying, Jesus, take the wheel. That is one of the best songs of, of the last 20 years. Jesus, take the wheel. It is so true. There is a point at which all the practice in the world is not enough to overcome the recidivism of the human ego and the human body and the human self. And there are points at which, despite all of the talk about the oneness, we have only one thing to say. It's Jesus, take the wheel. And I was recently
recently very struck again by that odd and bizarre movie, uh, Omen 3, The Final Conflict with Sam Neill. I think it's the third in the Omen trilogy, and it was filmed by a different crew. It had a different, uh, it had a different feel because it was filmed by an English crew, but I maybe did Donner direct it? I, it's a very good movie. Um, uh, it's also extremely bizarre and profoundly saturated with, with a Christian metaphysic and even a Christian du- du- dualism, which works in it. And uh, when I was uh, not so many years ago leading a group through Fountains Abbey in North Yorkshire, and I pointed out to the extremely hoity-toity uh, docent who was leading us around the grounds, and I said, well, now, let me, uh, let me ask you, madam, was not uh, 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 Omen 3, The Final Conflict, filmed here? And she said, and she said no, I'm sure it wasn't. I, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. She just dismissed it. Well, it actually was, and you can look it up on the Internet where the director and the photographer, what is it called, the DOP, uh, talks about how difficult it was to film um, uh, the, the Omen 3, The Final Conflict, the last scene at Fountains Abbey at night in the freezing cold. But if you visit Fountains Abbey, think of it where Sam Neill is the devil, the Antichrist, strides through the ruins of Fountains Abbey in North Yorkshire and saying, Nazarene, Nazarene, I challenge you, Nazarene. Well, the Nazarene takes him up on it, and it has a very, very powerful and good uh, and, and uh, creatively uh, sustaining, salvific ending. But um, I need uh, to call him the Nazarene. There are moments where all the dwelling on the one and all the uh, focus on Meister Eckhart's brilliant monism and, and insightful monism and Fichte and the many um, European versions also of that uh, monistic view um, it has to be um, in practice um, tied in with a uh, Nazarene Jesus, take the wheel. So I'm all about that as well. Thank you so much for listening to this 170th podcast. And uh, we conclude, I conclude, with um, um, uh, my personal favorite song by Burton Cummings. And why I love it is uh, I love the beat. I love the piano. I love the sound. You can't help but sing this song. It was actually not even released. It was on the album Dream of a Child. And I believe in the original album it was not included. But it's now a bonus track in the remastered edition, which many years ago, I think it was remastered like 2003 or something, you can get Wild Child. And note the the line, the line in it, I think I may have mentioned, where suddenly a a song about a a hippie flower child um, who's uh, just rocking out during the song, um, this is the line, and with a wave of his hand and some help from the band, he was up in the clouds and she was crying like the day she was born. Well, that is a line to leave you with as I conclude podcast 170, and I look so very much forward to uh, connecting with you shortly, but it won't be for a few months. Uh, Blessings and God